Boy, what a night it's going to be on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Ultimate Sports Talk. I'm Dave Mitchell, and along with Mark Donahue, we're going to be talking about the Major League Draft here this evening, the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And we've got a special guest here tonight from the College of Worcester baseball team that qualified for the Division Three College World Series just a couple of weeks ago, Worcester Scott's outfielder Nick Strasbaugh. But before we get to all that, we've got to go down south and invite in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, the draft is underway, and the Reds, to some some people, may have drafted a surprise here tonight. Jonathan India, a third baseman, you're happy with the pick. Yeah, I am. I think from a strategic perspective, I think drafting pitchers, particularly high school pitchers, in the amateur draft has been a, a Exercise and wasted money and futility for most uh, for most teams. And uh, this Casey Mize kid who went number one, I think that's an exception only because he clearly had the best stuff. Detroit got him the number one pick, but he's also a college junior, and you know he's he's a man. <laughs> you know, he's, when when you draft some of these young kids as pitchers, the development process takes so long. And, you know, you look back at a guy like Robert Stevenson, who has been our poster boy for, uh, you know, bad draft choice. But you could also <laughs> throw in Homer Bailey. He was a high school kid out of Texas. It never worked. And these are not exceptions to the rule. These are the rule. So my philosophy is when looking at this draft, I would follow the formula of the Chicago Cubs and the Houston Astros. Draft eight really outstanding players to play every day and then go get your pitchers you know sign free agents or, or you know you can you can draft it lower and safer in the draft and get your pitching that way but you've got to have eight great players on the field if you're going to win in today's baseball and to me it looks like the reds are are, are, are taking that as as a strategy and i'm all for it i mean i, I think this kid uh, I don't know if you've checked his background, but this guy's 21 years old. He's 6'1", 200 pounds. He was the SEC Player of the Year. He had 365, 16 home runs, 40 RBIs in 54 games. And he was a semifinalist for the Golden Spikes Award, which is the best college baseball player. So, to me, Dave, this guy is a baseball player. And we were talking earlier, well, he's a third baseman. You've already got one third baseman in Suarez. You've got another one. And the kid they drafted last year or two years ago. Nick Senzel. Yes, Senzel. Do you have too many? And the answer is no. Uh, if you're a good athlete, you can play. If you can play third base or shortstop, you can play left field. And so there's, <clears throat> there'll be places to put these kids. But you want what, what I like is this kid has a potent bat. I mean, he can hit. And, uh, and he's an outstanding defensive player. He's got good speed. I think the Reds made a good draft choice. Mark, you know, I'll say this about Casey Mize, who was the number one draft draft pick going to the Detroit Tigers. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to predict that he is a bust, but what bothers me the most is his predominant pitch is a splitter, and if you watch him throw, he puts a lot of torque on his arm. I think he's a walking arm injury. You know, I saw that too, Dave, and we hadn't talked about that before. And he reminded me of somebody 
And I, I think it was, who's the guy from the Giants who won two Cy Youngs? I forget his name. The skinny guy with a weird uh, wind-up. Um, he, he was the Giants four or five years ago, won two Cy Youngs, and I can't remember his name. Senior moment. Um, <laughs> but he reminded me of that picture. Uh, comes over the top a lot. And that, you're right, that that's tough on your elbow, that pitch. It's not your shoulder, but it's your elbow on that pitch. And uh, it's funny you said that because we did not talk about that before, but I, I agree with you. You know, but but the India kid, does that have anything to do with the Reds being disappointed in Nick Senzel? I don't think so. I think Senzel, he's hitting 267 right now, which is obviously not a good start. He, he was injured for a month. <clears throat> All reports are this kid can hit, and he's, he's a good baseball player. And that's what I'm, I'm happy to see that they are, they are drafting young players. Number one, they're college players. They're not high school players. So these guys could actually make a contribution in the next two or three years at the big league level. So you're going to see them move along quickly because when you, when you're all SEC and you're the SEC player of the year, well, you figured out college baseball and college baseball typically is even a, a rung above, especially in, in the SEC, it's a rung above senior, you know, A ball. I mean, I think it's probably high A ball comparison, maybe even double A ball in some cases. I mean, these kids can play. The, the big thing about a hitter is they got to go from a metal bat to a wood bat. Yeah. But most of the time, these kids play in, in summer leagues with wood bats just for that reason. They'll go to Alaska. They'll play in tournaments around the country with wood bats just to get a feel for it. So it, it may not be as big a problem as it was a few years ago. But, I mean, I know from personal experience, hitting a baseball with a metal bat is a heck of a lot easier than hitting one with a wood bat. <laughs> That's for sure. So, uh, But I, I think the Reds are on the right path here. Um, I was a little surprised where some of these guys fell. Yeah, me too. Kerry Murray was the biggest one. Well, he and Singer, uh, Connor Murray, the, the center fielder. Yeah, from Oklahoma. Not, yeah, I thought he was going to go maybe sixth or seventh or maybe. And the other thing is that the, the Phillies signed Alec Baum, uh, who's a six foot seven. He looks like, like Justice, the guy who plays for the Yankees. Uh, now, they, the Phillies could have taken India, and they didn't. They took this kid. Uh, um, uh, both of them have big power. Uh, to me, India looks like a better baseball player. He looks like a better fielder, uh, quicker at the bag, quicker feet. And they even said that they're not sure where they put Mom other than first base. They don't think he's a third baseman. He's six foot seven, so I don't know where you put him other than first base. And typically, a first baseman is a much lower round pick than a third baseman. So just because it's a it's, it's a higher graded uh, position to play. Well, the end, these, go ahead. Well, you know, we were talking about guys who surprised us not going yeah. earlier. Uh, th th this Matthew Levator, he fell to 16th. Yeah, he did. And and the Reds were, were apparently interested in him. In him. And I, I don't know what happened. If it was a personal issue or he's, he got lit up his last few starts or, or whatever, but. What happened to Singer? Uh, you know, nobody just, nobody said anything. You know, uh, of course, Major League Baseball Network, uh, 
uh, I'm not sure if they've they've got the best reporters that are available out there. And to be honest, Mark, I mean, let's 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 call it like it is. You're talking about the entire country, and most of the games are not televised. You've got high school players, you've got small college players. They're not televised, and you don't get a chance to see all of these players. So in order to dig things up, it's awfully difficult to do. But you know what I'm talking about? He was a pitcher, and he was supposed to go, I thought, fourth, fifth, or sixth, and the Reds were in on him. And I don't even see him being drafted yet. Yeah, that, I, I agree with you. I know exactly where you're talking about, you know. And, and well, the Indians have got the 35th pick, and they've got the 41st pick. So they've got a couple of picks right there, bang, bang, in a row. Uh, I'm not sure when the Reds pick again. Do you know when their next pick is? I think 47th. Okay. Okay. And then the Indians have a couple of more even coming up after that. I know they've got the number 68 pick also. So it's a, it's going to be a very interesting evening for both the Reds and the Indians. It was already a very interesting month, Mark, as we get into the Reds and Indians here tonight. For two of their players, Francisco Lindor was named the player of the month for May. He led all players with 44 hits in the month of May, 27 runs scored. He had a 373 batting average, which ranked third. He had a 1.169 OPS. That placed fourth amongst all players with at least 100 plate appearances. And Scooter Jeanette of the Reds won the player of the month in the National League in the month of May. He had a 341 batting average, thanks in part to a 398 mark in May. He also had eight homers, drove in 24 runs, paced the National League with a 720 slugging percentage and a 1.139 OPS en route to his first Player of the Month award. He homered in four straight games from May 7th through 11th while helping the Reds to a weekend sweep of the Dodgers in L.A. Mark, those numbers are reminiscent of a Hall of Famer named Joe Morgan. Yeah, and... He, right now, you know, we say that the, the league, the pitching figures out hitters. Well, right now, Scooter's figured out the pitchers. And <laughs> yesterday, I saw him hit a home run off a left-hander, a good left-hander, Ham from uh, Ham from uh, San Diego. Uh, this guy is tough on left-handers, and he hung in there, didn't flinch on a big curveball, and hit it about 400 feet. You know, the ball—he is so short. He's only five five eight, and that's giving him probably half an inch, uh, he, he comes, the ball comes in low to him, and he eats it up. And he, they come in high, and he'll take it to left field. <clears throat> right now, they have not figured him out. And as I heard two or three guys talk about this. <clears throat> A friend of mine went down there and met Scooter Jeanette. Um, I think it was a spring training, actually. And he said, this guy is incredibly strong. Like from the elbow to the fingertips, he said he's got massive hands, uh, strong wrists and forearms. And, you know, he, he's the kind of guy, he, you're going to have a hard time. He's got a good eye, and I hope the Reds re sign him. But, you know, he, he could be, he, this guy could win MVP this year. Oh, easily. Although it will be awfully tough for him to do it to even match the numbers that Joey Votto had last year, and Joey ended up finishing third in the voting. No, Joey was second. Second in the voting. Yeah, well, one vote. I mean, you know, he lost by two, so anybody who changed their vote had been tied. But but Votto hit 320, I think he hit 324 last year, 
36 home runs and 100 RBIs, I think Scooter could exceed, you know, exceed all those. Now, what he doesn't have is Joey's on-base percentage. Uh, nobody has that. But uh, real raw numbers, he's got 12 home runs. I mean, he's on a pace now to hit 35, 36 home runs, driving 115 runs. Uh, if he hits 323, 25, which he, you know, he could, uh, this guy will be, he'll be in the running. Well, and another guy who may be in the running is Edwin Encarnacion of the Indians. He led the tribe to a four and three record over the week. They're up two games now, actually uh, two and a half over Detroit in the American League Central Division. And Double E won the American League Player of the Week honors. He hit 407 this past week. He was 11 for 27 with nine runs, two doubles, five homers, 13 RBIs. And he totaled up 28 bases and a slugging percentage of 1.037. And that's mainly marked because he went to Minnesota. He finds that Minnesota, that stadium up there, he just loves hitting up there. Last year, he had a game where he had two home runs and drove in five runs in the ball game. And then on uh, this weekend, he had a game where he hit two more home runs against the Twins and drove in four runs. So he loves Minnesota. Well, it's interesting. Encarnacion, you're talking about him, and uh, God, the Reds gave away a guy who conceivably go to Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, and it's because they didn't like his fielding. Well, they somehow teams have figured out a way to play him. And is he that bad a fielder at first base? Not that I know of. I don't think so either. I mean, I just. It's kind of kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean he 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 seems pretty pretty sound at first base. He's he's made some excellent defensive plays for the tribe this year. But I'll tell you the pro- the problem with the Cleveland Indians is again the bullpen, and they signed a left-hander this weekend, Oliver Perez, who was cut by the Reds during spring training, right? That's right. And he's a lefty reliever in his 16th year in the major leagues, but Mark, he's already paid dividends for the Indians. He's already done it, and what has happened is uh, he p- pitched an inning and two-thirds on Saturday for the Indians, retired five in a row, and then came in on Sunday and pitched two-thirds of an inning and retired both of those batters. Now, for the Indians to have somebody even retire two men in a row out of the bullpen, that's a major accomplishment. So Perez, I think, has solidified a spot on the team for the rest of the year. Well, first of all, hearing you complain about your team who's in first place by two and a half games, and your only complaint is that your bullpen isn't as good as it should be, I don't <laughs> feel sorry for you, okay? Suck it up. The and, bullpen and has I, cost us ten games, Mark. Ten you're still games. You're in first place. You're still in first place. Get Th- over yourself. Thankfully it's to a weak division. You're, yes, I, I, I'll give you that. It is a weak division. But this team is going to win the division by 10 or 12 games, and you'll have plenty of time to get that bullpen in order before the playoffs. So I don't want to hear any more crying when my team is 18 games under 500 on a pace to be 50 games under 500, and you're complaining about your middle relief. I, I just, I'm just i sorry. I don't feel sorry for you. All right, so let's talk about the sorry woes of the Reds because they went 2-3 and three last week. They're 21 and 38 overall, 15 and a half games behind Milwaukee in the National League Central. Mark, they've put 
Homer Bailey on the DL. That was three days after they demoted him to the bullpen. I don't know. To me, something smells fishy on that. Well, I think what smells fishy is that he is a pain in the butt. Bingo. And and I think the Reds are sick of dealing with him. Uh, You know, over the last two years, two years, he has the worst ERA in baseball. Over two, and that's hard to do over two consecutive years. But aggregately, his ERA is higher than any other pitcher in baseball. And he complains because he went, you know, he's whining because they want to send him to the bullpen. Well, the option is to send you down to A ball and learn how to pitch. He doesn't, his fastball is straight as a die. He's got no movement at all on his pitches. And it just, it, it never seems to me. That he's, he's throwing max effort. Maybe you can get away with that when you're 23 years old and you can throw 95 miles an hour, 98 miles an hour. He doesn't have that now. And a lot of guys grow into their old age in baseball. You know, old age in baseball could be 31, 32 years old. But they, they learn how to pitch. And to me, he's never learned how to pitch. He's never had to. Mark, he's got a 6.68 ERA over the 12 starts that he has made this year, that is dead last amongst all starting pitchers that have made 12 or more starts this year. Yeah, well, it's dead last over two years. That's my point. I mean, he hasn't pitched well in forever. And for him to complain about going to bullpen, you know, if you had any class when you were 1-5 in five or 1-4 in four and you're getting lit up, you go to the manager and say, look, I'm not helping the team. If you need me to bullpen, you know where I am. You know, let, let me work it out down there. No, he, he complains and he whines and he does it with a reporter who knows. I mean, he knows when he says that to the reporter. It'll be in the paper. It'll be all over the press. And it, it, I did not, frankly, hear he had gone to on the d- disabled list. But you're right. That is kind of interesting that they would <laughs> make that decision. I mean, you know, this guy... He may never pitch again for the Reds. It's that serious. He has one year left on his contract, and they could waive him, you know, let another Uh, team pick up that contract. You know, that was my point about Brandon Finnegan last week. He He sought out a reporter or called up a reporter to air his grievances against the Reds over them sending him to the minor leagues. That was my my entire complaint. Uh, Speaking of pitchers uh, in the Reds organization, uh, I don't know if you noticed that Hunter Green – uh, over his last five starts, has, has improved pretty substantially. Uh, he's only got a 1-3 record and a 6.32 ERA, but over the last four or five starts, I think the ERA is under three, uh, 2.97, 2.98. But the thing is, it's inter- interesting to me. He's pitched 31 innings for the Dayton Dragons, and he's got 44 strikeouts in 31 innings. <laughs> so he's throwing some gas up there. And, uh, you know, that's what they, that's why they drafted him, because of that. He, he, he's not a pitcher yet. He's still a thrower. But when you have 44 strikeouts in 31 innings, uh, you're striking out more than one hitter per inning, and uh, that, that that's a pretty good – for an 18-year-old kid, that's pretty good stuff. What do you think the improvement has been? I think just getting regular rotation in and getting professional coaching. Uh, he came in here early in the year, and – He's, he's clearly a work in progress. I mean, this kid, he needs another couple of years to learn how to pitch. But he's smart, very smart kid. 
uh, he, he's the kind of kid you, you invest in because he's got a good brain. And I, I think he'll take to heart what he learns. But he's got, a, he's got what they call easy gas. And I saw him the other night pitch. And he was still in 100, 101. And it doesn't look like he was even working hard. You know, he just threw it up there and the ball just explodes. So once he learns to control a breaking ball, gets a secondary pitch like a changeup, uh, you can see why he was a number one pick. I mean, he, this kid's got tremendous talent. But what I really like about him, if you've heard him on interviews, he's very bright. And, uh, you know, he knows where he is, what he's doing. He, he's got a, his wits about him. So I, I think that was a good draft for the Reds as well. Yeah, hopefully he'll be able to uh, continue this and, like you said, be up, upwards with the Reds in the next couple of years. We're going to be back and talk to our guest, Nick Strasball. We're going to do that right after this timeout. Looking for a hometown bar and grill? There's only one spot. Crosley's Bar and Grill at 4901 Vine in St. Bernard. Crosley's is downstairs, but the food and atmosphere is on top. Great tasting burgers, scrumptious chicken wings, tasty chili, and some of the best beer selections in town. With plenty of televisions and friendly service, having a great time at Crosley's is a certainty. There's a separate room in the back available for your private parties. Check it out after the game. Crosley's is open Monday through Saturday from 11 to midnight. Like us on Facebook, Crosley's Bar and Grill at 4901 Vine Street in St. Bernard. Well, welcome back to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. And with us now is our guest here this evening and... I've known this guy for a long time, Nick Strasbaugh from the College of Worcester, one of the best high school athletes, Mark, that I've seen in a long time. And Nick participated. He was a key member of the College of Worcester Scots Division Three College World Series baseball team this year. It didn't end up the way you wanted it to, though, did it, Nick? Uh, you were only there for a couple of games, but talk about the experience. Thanks for joining us here tonight. Talk about the experience of going to the D3 College World Series. Oh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's not really how we uh, wanted it to end. Obviously, we went to and out, but it was a heck of an experience. We got to go to a new place. Well, new for us, but we've obviously been there before uh, for Coach Federini. But, I mean, it was crazy. That just the stadium was so beautiful, and there were so many people that came out, uh, even if it wasn't for either team, just to come out and watch games. Um there was a whole bunch of ceremonies that we had to go through to really, like, you know, make it seem like we were at a huge stage because we were. And, yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience. You know, you talk about the stadium. You played down at Huntington Park in the state championship game. What, how, compare the stadiums. How were they? Um, I'd say they were, they were pretty similar. The, I like the World Series Park better, I'd say. I mean, the scoreboard was very nice, and the grass was just amazing. It, it pretty much felt like turf, even though it was all grass, which, I mean, that's how a lot of uh, big parks are. But. Yeah. Now, you lost to Texas Lutheran in the first game, 7 to nothing, and then Texas Lutheran ended up making it all the way to the championship game, and Tyler beat them two games in a row. What made What made Texas Lutheran so tough, Nick? Um, a lot of, I mean, that, that first pitcher we faced, he was legit. Um, I'm sure he'll go on to do great things wherever he goes or if he continues to play. And they had a lot of good pitching. I mean, their second pitcher was also an All-American. I think he was second or 
yeah, second team All-American. So they obviously had a lot of good pitching at the beginning, and they got clutch hits when they needed them. Uh, they're, they have one really solid hitter. I know that just crushed us all day. And unfortunately, we couldn't get the hits we needed uh, pretty much the whole tournament. But, I mean, under those, uh, the two Texas teams are great teams. Yeah. Hey, Nick, I've got a couple, a couple questions, Nick. Uh, what grade are you in? Uh, I will be a junior at the college list, sir. Okay, you'll be a junior. Okay. Two years left. Yeah, next year. How many of D3 or even D2 players have you seen or guys you know might get drafted here tomorrow? Um, as far as I've seen, or I'll go with played with or played against, I'd say Mike Walensky is obviously very good and he'll probably. I, I'm not sure, but I'd say he'd probably have a chance of getting drafted. Uh, and I believe the Texas Lutheran kid was a senior. Uh, so, and, I mean, he's obviously very good. And I think another pitcher, another All-American pitcher in that tournament also has a good chance of getting drafted. I, I was interested to see tonight, I don't know if you've been watching the draft, it's, it's still in the first round, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of kids drafted uh, in, in Division Two, Division Three. Uh, and, you, and usually it's a pitcher because there's a kind of a, a diamond in the rough attitude that you can get a kid. Maybe he doesn't have a lot of experience, but can throw 100 miles an hour, and you know you, you draft that kid uh, because you can do something with him. And I just wondered, you just mentioned you saw some guys that, that you either saw or faced. How hard were they throwing? You think, uh, and the guys you faced? Uh, I think that. The Texas Lutheran kid was only throwing, he was stopping at low 90s, just right above 90. But he, he can hit spots. He was also very good with mixing his fastball speed. So sometimes he would throw you like an 88 mile an hour fastball, but he could also gas it up if he needed to. He also had a very good uh, slider. And he just hit, he just hit every spot. And I think guys like that really have a good chance of going because they can, I mean, they know they're going to throw strikes, so they can just keep working with them on velocity. Yeah, Dave and I have been talking about that very thing over the last couple of years, where a lot of the kids that get drafted high, uh, but they don't know how to pitch. And as you move up, as you will see, guy that I've always brought to brought to the forefront, Nick, and I know you, you remember him, Marcus Schlebaugh. He knew how to pitch. He could hit his spots. Yep. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, Tim Pedarini has been the longtime Worcester coach. Talk about him and what makes him such a good baseball coach, Nick. Um, yeah, he, he really knows, um, he, he gets to know his players. He know, knows really like where we can see He can put us in positions that he feels that we'll be the best at. He also, you know, he knows when to be the nice guy. There's sometimes you don't want to, you know, harp on someone too bad if they're in a slump or something. And that's where he can be positive with you and that really bring you back up. But there's also times when, you know, he knows you're not, not giving your best effort and he'll really get on you. And I think that's why, that's what makes him such a great coach. What's the biggest thing that you've learned from him about baseball? Um, one of the biggest things I've learned is something that Chris Dell already had started teaching me before I got there. Um, baseball is a long, a long grind. You play, you pretty much get to play every day. Not so much in high school, but it, at, in high levels, you play more and more. You get to play every day. Every, you know, every pitch is like a new, a new game. If you take each pitch like a game, and it'll give you like your best, uh, ability to succeed. You can't, um, You know, I, I've talked to a lot of college football players coming from high school into college, and they tell me that the biggest difference between high school and college football is the speed of the game. What's the biggest difference between high school baseball and college baseball, Nick? Um, I would say that uh, the mental aspect. I mean, in high school we play, I'd say at most, I don't know, two or three games. It depends on if well, the weather's not very good in Ohio, so <laughs> can't really. Uh, That's true. That. But in college, I mean, we're playing we're playing a little bit more than that, maybe four or five games a week, and we're also playing against uh, good. I mean, a lot better competition. We had a lot of ranked teams. They're supposed to be ranked in our uh, schedule this year, and also the, the speed of the game's a lot faster. I mean. Just moving to the outfield, I had I really played the outfield before, but I mean some of the kids can hit the ball just so fast off the bat, and you just have to be ready to run and get it. You know the the one thing that a lot of kids are doing today, Nick, that I know you did not do was uh, specialize in one sport. Uh, you could have very easily specialized in in any of the three sports, but you chose to play all three. Would you recommend that? to kids growing up that they they not specialize on one sport and, and if not why not and, and how did that help you in the other sports uh, yeah in my opinion I would say that just to play as many sports as you can I think that uh, one of the great things you can learn from every sport is just competition and uh, the more you play the more you want to win that, I mean, that helps you in every sport you're going to play and I think that I think you can specialize in one sport if that's something you really want to do, but, I mean, you're going to have to be putting in more hours than everyone else. You're going to have to be putting in uh, work every day on just that sport. So I think if you play multiple sports, I mean, you can you can hit workouts for all three sports at once. Let's say, uh, yeah, I'd just say, in my opinion, I, I would play as many sports as you can.
on and you get to compete. Hey, Nick, a, a couple of years ago, we were doing some tryouts uh, for a movie, actually, and we, we brought in some elite players from Cincinnati playing in the 10, 12, 13-year-old age bracket, and we found out that 12-year-olds were playing 70 to 75 games a year. And they were going on traveling squads to Florida in the winter, you know, during, I mean, to me, I think that's way too much. And I agree with you 100%. Uh, to develop as an athlete, I think you need to play all the sports. But I, I'd, I'd be very concerned if I had a 12-year-old kid, he's playing 75, 80 games. He's going to hate the game by the time he's 14. He's going to be sick of it. And it takes the fun out of it. And I, I I don't know yeah. if you agree with that, but I think you can overdo it, and, and you need a break sometimes. I mean, I played Division One sports, too, and uh, it, it's a grind. I mean, I played basketball and baseball, and, you know, when the season's over, I was ready to, you know, <laughs> sit back for a while and catch my breath. But, uh, you know, I, I think these, these coaches sometimes overdo it, too, and, and these young kids, I think they're going to burn out. Yeah. Nick, you're also. Uh, I, I Go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. I definitely agree. After these long grinds of seasons, I definitely, I definitely like to change gears. Maybe take a week or two off and then just be able to relax. You know, you're also a standout wide receiver for the Scots. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Nick. If I told you you could only play one more college game. And you had your choice of it being a football game or a baseball game. Which would it be? Uh, I, I'd probably play one more football game. <laughs> I kind of figured that's what you were going to say. You know, Mark, I want to tell you a little story. Nick did not play football his freshman year. He he worked in the equipment room, right, Nick? Yes, that's right. And you you saw that. Maybe the College of Worcester needed a little receiver help when you entered last season. And Nick started out being, correct me if I'm wrong here, Nick, but probably about the seventh or eighth receiver after you finally talked the coach into letting you play. And he worked his way all the way up to being uh, an all-conference receiver, right? Uh, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> he, he's always been humble, Mark. <laughs> he's always been humble. Just like you, Dave. Nick, Nick, I really appreciate the time tonight. It's good to talk to you. You know, uh, it was always a pleasure covering you in high school, and and I'm glad you're seeing the success at the College of Worcester. Congratulations, Nick, and good luck in the football season and next year in baseball. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us here tonight. Nice talking to you, buddy. Nick Strasbaugh being our guest here this evening, and Mark, you know, I, I I didn't really want to embarrass him by telling that story, but it is a good little story because uh, the kid was a heck of an athlete. He was a three-sport athlete at uh, the high school that that we uh, covered at the time, and he was even a good basketball player. The kid's six feet, and Mark, he played center against some of the biggest kids in the league that were six seven, six eight and played man-to-man defense against them all the time. And I'll tell you what, he held his own. Well, he sounds like a nice young man. And, you know, we didn't we didn't get into it. But, uh, you know, I think when you go to a Division three school, you have a chance to 
do more things, and you can focus on academics a, a, a little more. But that's why you go to college. You, you know, so few kids get. I mean, the, t- tonight is a perfect example. There's going to be about 400 and was it 450 or 500 kids drafted over the next two days, and the percentage of them that, that are going to make it to the big leagues is less than four percent. And and then of the four percent that make it to the big leagues, that could be for a cup of coffee, you know, for for five games, and their you know their career is over. You got to get the grades, and you got to got to focus on your education. And that's you hear these stories about these young guys making millions of dollars when they're eighteen years old. But I'm telling you, that's the that's the exception. And so many kids they they come into college with the idea they're going to be you know, the next superstar, it, it just doesn't work out. You've got injuries, you've got competition, and there's that moment where you say, geez, I'm just not as good as I thought I was. And then, you know, if you don't have a college degree, it's too late. So um, it sounds like Nick's got a good head on his shoulders, and uh, I, I wish him well. You know, I've never asked you this question, Mark. Were you drafted? No, I, I was scouted, and I was offered a deal with the Reds. And uh, <clears throat> my dad wouldn't sign, wouldn't let me sign the contract. Uh, and I didn't talk to him for three weeks. But Gene Bennett. <laughs> uh, Those were probably the best three weeks of his life. <laughs> yeah, probably. But Gene Bennett, he was a legendary Red side, Don Gullett, and you know, a bunch of other guys. Uh, he actually came to my house. And uh, my dad he, he was very much into the academic side of it. And, and funny thing, Dave, just you brought this up, so I'll, I'll share the anecdote. I played with Mike Schmidt, and Mike and I played together a number of years, and I saw him play, played against him here in Dayton. Uh, with Steve Yeager, uh, a lot of guys that I knew ended up in the big leagues. Uh, Rich McKinney for the White Sox. and You know, when I was younger, I was as good as those guys. You know, when I was even through high school, I mean, I was a pretty good ball player. Then I plateaued, and they didn't. They kept getting better. And I remember playing third base one night against Mike Schmidt. Mike was playing in another team. He had a line drive down to third base. I dove for it. I thought it was going to take off my hand, and I caught it. <laughs> I couldn't feel my left hand for like three innings. And then next time up, he had one into the parking lot, about 425 feet over the left field fence. And then the next time up, he had a line drive that short hopped and hit me in the chest. I thought it was going to kill me. It, 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 it dawned on me in that game. You know, the rest of my life, I will never hit a ball that hard. <laughs> and this kid, at the time, he was going to OU. And I, I realized I'll never be that good. <laughs> now, that, that is a, that's a terrible admission for an 18-year-old kid to make or 19-year-old kid to make, whatever I was. But fortunately... I, I, my dad made me go to college. <laughs> so when, you know, when I didn't make it, I had a, I had a chance to, to survive. But I, I hope kids today don't get swayed by the big contracts that such a small percentage of these athletes get. Because a lot of them, if they don't have that college degree in today's world, they're, they're going to they're gonna struggle the rest of their lives. Do you remember a pitcher that used to be with the Reds? This is several years ago, Mark. Named Bruce Berenge. Oh yeah, 
remember Bruce. Okay, Bruce went to a high school near me where I grew up named Fairview High School. And he just had an outstanding right arm. And I was at an all-star game one time, and I thought, this is my chance. This is my opportunity because there were scouts all over the place. And I was standing on home plate talking to a few of the players, and a scout walked up to me. And I thought, oh, my God, this is my opportunity of a lifetime. And the scout says, where's Bereni? And <laughs> that, was, that was the end of my dream. <laughs> Nonetheless, hey, let's talk about another pitcher for the Reds that's got a sore arm, and that's Anthony DiSclefani. But he's going to pitch tomorrow night. Supposedly he's going to come back in and at, get added into, into the rotation. He's going to get the start tomorrow night when they open up their six-game homestand against the Rockies. What do you expect out of him, Mark? I don't expect much. Uh, I don't. And I think uh, there's a better-than-average chance. I mean, just statistically... I think he'll go back on the DL before the end of the year, uh, only because of his history. He he has the kind of motion that generates a lot of torque on the body. And uh, I've seen him throw now for three years, and he's got a great arm. But the way he throws, it, unless they've changed, you know, changed his motion, but that is so hard to do. It, it's so hard to get it's somebody his age. He's probably, what, late 20s now. Uh, you're not going to change him substantially. But you mentioned it earlier. I mean, some guys just have a proclivity, the way they release the ball, the way they follow, you know, the follow through, the way they land, it creates a lot of torque on the arm. And other guys don't have that. You remember Tom Browning? Oh, yes. Tom Browning never had a sore arm. It's because of his motion. It was so, it was so uh, you know, an easy motion. He could throw a lot of pitches. Of course, he did break his arm in a game later in his career. But, uh, you know, normally he was the guy who could throw you 200 innings a year easily without a problem. And now th- these kids are throwing so hard that the, the kid buys today. Uh, you know, he's throwing 100 miles an hour. He's 18 years old. <laughs> how long are you going to do that? How many, how many pitches... You know, an average baseball pitcher on his game day, he'll throw almost 200 pitches. When you can consider warm-ups, pitches between innings, and the game, it's between 150 and 200 pitches. How can you, how can your arm endure that kind of torque? You, you, you just, you can't. And that's why you have so many pitchers that are on the DL every year now. Did you, do you know where Tom Browning went to high school? No, Indiana, wasn't it? No, Casper Natrona High School out in Wyoming. Casper, Wyoming. And I I know that. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I saw him pitch in high school. I I was doing games out in Gillette, Wyoming at the time, and Tom Browning played on the Mustangs team for Natrona with another kid named Mike Lansing. Mike Lansing went on to play second base for the Expos for several years. I remember him. Yeah, they they had two players from that team, Mark, out in Wyoming, that went on to play Major League Baseball in Browning and Mike Lansing. Almost hard to believe. Nonetheless, you know, I, I want to continue talking about the injury aspect. You mentioned about Di Sclafani probably ending up on the DL before the end of the year. I'll tell you another one. 
Lonnie Chisenhall for the Indians is scheduled to come off the disabled list tomorrow when the Indians open up at home against Milwaukee. Now, he's another one that has a chronic calf injury. Mark, Greg Allen has been playing outstanding baseball. Melky Cabrera has not been playing outstanding, but he's been playing very good baseball for the Indians. I hate to cut either one of those two in order just to let Chisenhall come back and in about a month have to go back on the DL. And with Cabrera, you're either going to have to cut him or DFA him. And I, I don't want to do that. Greg Allen, you can send back to the minor leagues, but the kid's playing kid's playing very, very well right now, rotating in between center field and right field. I mean, it's quite a dilemma that the Indians have here as to what they're going to do when Chisenhall comes back. And then you've got Brandon Geyer, who's supposed to come back in the next few days. And then you've got Tyler Naquin, who's supposed to be back in about a week. Yeah, and you're saying this is a problem? It's a problem. No, it's not. It's not a problem. It's the solution. It's not a problem. This is how you get winning teams. When you have players like this who are standing in, in the wings ready to play, can play. If somebody goes down, they can fill right in. But you've got depth. You can rest your guys. You look around the, ro- the rosters of the teams, the top-tier teams in Major League Baseball. They've got guys on the bench that are better than the starting lineups or even rotations than many of the teams in baseball. That's why they win. The Cubs are interchangeable. They, they have, you know, they have what twelve pitchers and thirteen guys, uh, position players. You could you could draw their starting lineup out of a hat and be better than most teams in baseball. So I, again, I'm not feeling sorry for you because you have an abundance of talent on that roster, and you know the the Indians. I don't know if we've said this before. Do the Reds have a pitcher you would want? Well, Iglesias, but unfortunately, um, I mean, I think Greg Allen and Tyler Naquin would fit very well in center field for you guys, either one. Well, anybody is, you know, my opinion of Billy Hamilton is going down. I'll tell you what's happening. He's losing his step in speed. Is he really? I swear to God he is. He got thrown out yesterday, and he only has nine stolen bases this year. Because he doesn't get on base, but he's been thrown out more than uh, Peraza has. And Peraza has got more stolen bases. Uh, so th- this guy is not the answer. And I put Peraza in center. I mean, he, he could play center field and, and put uh, Sinzel at short. <laughs> there's, there's nothing to lose when you're 18 games under 500 in June. No, that, that's true. You know, and and the thing about it is, Mark, and and here's what we've talked about the draft a little bit, and you brought it up very sporadically earlier about the motion from some of these guys. I kind of wonder who's coaching the pitchers around the country because there's nobody out there that I have seen, and I was watching the Major League Baseball Network prior to us going on and watching the clips that they had of these pitchers, Mark. There's not a one of them that were up for the draft that had a smooth motion. They were all herky-jerky. Yeah, they're trying to generate a lot of arm speed, and uh, that that can be, you know, again, I use the term easy gas, and that comes with a little bit of age, 
And you look at the pitchers who have been around for a long time, Tom Seaver and guys who were built like that, that, that stocky, muscular frame, those guys last a lot longer than the guys who come up there and just try and, you know, throw gas. I look, look at Nolan Ryan. He, he, below the waist, Nolan Ryan was a weightlifter. I mean, and he was strong as a mule, but he didn't have to have max effort to throw 100 miles an hour. You, you get an 18-year-old kid, and he's 175, 180 pounds, and because he's lifting weights and he's, he's got a powerful upper body, he, he can throw 100 miles an hour, but it takes everything he's got on every pitch. And that's where, that's what you're talking about. That is what leads to arm injuries and elbow injuries from these kids 17, 18 years old. I'm going to put you on the spot. Minus American pitchers and Chinese pitchers and Japanese pitchers. I guess I'm talking about the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Cuba, players like that, okay? Name the last Dominican Republic, Cuba, Puerto Rican pitcher that's had a sore arm. Hmm. Yeah, this is a true question. I, I can't think of one. I literally you know cannot think of one. You know why? That's what I'm that's what I'm getting at. Why? Because they pitch every day. Well, the pitching coach from Atlanta, remember when they he, he wanted yeah. his pitchers throwing every day, and, and he's no and longer in the major leagues. That's right. I know, but look at the pitching staff he had. Yeah. John Smoltz, Maddox, Glavin, uh, those guys threw every day. And you, that, that was a secret to their success. I mean, they, they, they never got sore arms. Uh, Avery, I mean, all those guys, they, they, they pitched, every, they threw every day. And because... You, those guys knew how to pitch. Uh, I saw Glavin probably pitch more than Maddox, but uh, I mean, those guys—they just like sit in a rocking chair uh, throwing, and that, that's what you don't have anymore. You don't have pitchers; you've got throwers. Yeah. And I'll be anxious to see what happens with Mize uh, if he's going to be the guy who, um, you know, maybe he's the next Homer Bailey, who looks like his career, if not over, is certainly in jeopardy at this point. Why Why are we so ingrained here in the U.S. as far as telling these pitchers that they can't throw the day after they've thrown six, seven, eight, nine innings? Why are we so ingrained in that when we see that the other countries down south are doing it and it's working? Because the pitchers in other places, they don't throw 100 miles an hour. That's not their aim. They develop four pitches by the time they're 12 years old, and they don't have to throw 100 miles an hour. So that's that's the difference in the mentality. I mean, you mentioned Dominican Republic. Well, the most obvious was Juan Marshall. You know, Juan Marshall had like 12 pitches, and he didn't throw any of them over 88 miles an hour. But he had different arm slots. He had different, you know, he held the ball differently. He had a slider. He had a split finger. He had a fastball. Uh, he even threw a knuckleball. I mean, they have they develop this talent of pitching, and that's what I think your point is. And look at the high school kids. You mentioned to me a couple of years ago, a coach had a kid, I guess, who was throwing eighty or ninety-five miles an hour up here, and what he pitching like four games in a row, or yeah. some ridiculous amount of innings he pitched. I wonder what that kid's doing now. That's a good did question. You ever, did you ever track that kid and find out what happened to him? No, I didn't. Because that, that, that's my point, that these high school 
coaches call them that. It, not in all cases. There's some very responsible guys out there doing it right. But some of these coaches and managers, they see a kid with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball as their ticket to the next level. You know, they're going to go to a college or they're going to move up to junior college or whatever they're going to do. And they just wear these kids out and they injure them. Well, I, it'd be interesting to find out what happens is a lot of these high school pitchers who were all state and then never go beyond that. It was because of that kid that the OHSAA changed the rule and you can only throw a certain amount of pitches in a certain amount of time. And, you know, kind of like the coach, Little League World Series rule. That coach should have had his butt fired. I mean, there's no excuse for that. That, it, that, that was so egregious they had to change a rule. That That is unconscionable. And, again, you look around at, <laughs> at these high school kids who have won state tournaments or whatever for their teams, and I wonder how many of them are continuing to play ball after that. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, for, for example, you've got – Whenever I think of a nice, easy motion, I think of Tom Seaver. Yeah. Boy, his motion was just nice and easy. Pedro Martinez had a great motion. You know, yeah. the only thing that was really weird about Louis Tiant was it wasn't his delivery. It was his wind-up. And yeah, his, talk about a guy who had 100 pitches. I mean, he, yeah. he could throw. But those guys learned to pitch. Uh, they didn't learn to throw. And that's that's the difference. Yeah, Steve Carlton is another one. Yeah, man, what oh, yeah. a what a delivery! I I was in Philadelphia the other year. He won twenty seven games. I think, was he twenty seven and five or something? Like, some crazy number like that. He won half the games for the Phillies. Yeah, <laughs> one guy won half the games, and I mean, it looked like he was, and his slider would break four feet. Uh, and he could throw hard, but he wasn't throwing 100 miles an hour. He was throwing 92, 93, but he, he could put the ball anywhere on the plate, and that's what is lacking today, and I just wonder if this if this is going to change. If, you know, everything goes in cycles. Now, I, Hunter Green was on TV the other night, and he was throwing 100 miles an hour, but he was throwing 100 miles an hour when he was 17. Mm-hmm. I hope they use that speed and that power judiciously and not have him throw that kind of velocity you know every pitch or even every other pitch uh, he's got to learn the secondary pitches and I tell you what with that kind of speed if you just throw a halfway slider or a halfway changeup you're going to be you're going to be very successful because they know you can throw 100 miles an hour if you have to but coming in there and throwing that throwing 80 90 pitches at 100 miles an hour the kid won't last till he's 23. What made Nolan Ryan a great pitcher? It wasn't his fastball. It was, it was the, his legs. It, well, <laughs> it was the fact that he developed the curveball, remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I he, mean, he, a, he was the right-handed Sandy Koufax. And don't forget, he played with a, he played with crummy teams for a long time. Had he played for a good team, that guy would have won 400 games. Yeah. Well, he started out his career with the Mets, and they couldn't get him to learn a secondary pitch. He went to California with the Angels, and they finally got him to throw the curveball, and he got control of it, and he became a Cy Young Award winner. That's right. You know, it's amazing, Mark, when you look at some of these pitchers. And he had a nice, easy motion. Yeah. You know, Araldus Chapman doesn't have a bad motion. 
He throws yep. he throws a hundred miles an hour easily. Yep. You know, but you've got these other pitchers that really have to muscle it up and throw it in there. Hey, before we go, I've been saving this for you all week. Oh You're always boy! Th- throwing out these quizzes for me. Okay. Uh, and I and I've got one for you. Okay. Okay. You, 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 you always, if I, if I miss one, you always laugh. I hear that laughter. <laughs> but, okay. okay, there are eight ways to score a run if you're a runner at third base. What are they? All right, let me let me qualify this. Is a pass ball and a wild pitch the same? No. So they're different? Yes. All right, so pass ball, wild pitch, base hit, um, let's see, an error, sacrifice fly, uh, suicide squeeze, um, let me see, that's, uh, six, so I got two more. Um, oh boy, bulk, that's, yep. and steal home. That's eight. Well, yeah, it's, it's, officially it's nine, but, they, com- they combine, it, it's a walk, a hit, hit by pitch, which I think you forgot. Okay. Uh, balk, wild pitch, pass ball, sacrifice fly, sacrifice bunt, and error. Now, if you want to say a sacrifice is, you know, one, uh, there's eight, but if it's two, there's nine. So you, you've got seven of them. That's not bad for a catcher. Well, I actually got eight. The only, the only one I missed was, uh, Hit by pitch. Hit by pitch. Well, I didn't get yeah. the walk. But I did get eight of them. There must be ten then. No, there's the error. One, two. Well, I, I called it a suicide squeeze. You called it a sacrifice bunt. Well, yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Same thing. All right. <laughs> I got it. Ha! <laughs> now, you didn't get all of them. You missed two of them. Don't start gloating on me here. <laughs> Mark, this has been a fun show. Have there been any other draft picks that you've noticed for the Reds? I haven't seen anything come across, and the Indians aren't even up yet. No, it'll, it'll be another hour or two for the Reds. Uh, they come up 47th, I think, something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But it's going to be a fun evening. What do the Reds have coming up this week, Mark? David? You're not going to tell you, me, are I you? don't like looking ahead. Okay, I'll tell you this time. I mean, you, you shame me into it. All right. Uh, they got, uh, let me see here. Uh, they got uh, Colorado coming up for three games in Cincinnati and then St. Louis following them in. So the next six games, Colorado and St. Louis, and the Reds have every opportunity to lose four of those games. Yes, they do. And the Indians, well, they're going to be home for Milwaukee. That's going to be Wednesday and Thursday, or Tuesday and Wednesday, I should say. They've got Thursday off, and then they're at Detroit to play the second-place Tigers Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mark, we'll talk all about it next week. Have a good one, Dave. That's going to do it for tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Our thanks to our guest here this evening, Nick Strasbaugh, for joining us from the College of Worcester. Thanks for him spending about ten minutes with us here tonight. The Reds and Indians, another week as we head into the second full week of June in the Major League Baseball season. We'll be back again next Monday night at 9 o'clock with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Until then, for Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good week, everybody.